Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Taunant. Hello, Janina. Hello. And here we are again. Here we are again. And welcome to the podcast, dear listeners. We've had a long series of MWC specials now for episodes, to be correct. And that's Mobile World Congress to the rest. Yes, thank you, Paul. Mobile World Congress event, Barcelona 2023 special. We had a long series there, but now we're back with a regular episode. And this time it's all about Games and 5G. Yes, Paul. Yeah. You like games? Lots. <laughs> what kind of games do you like? All sorts of things, really. Mm-hmm. Puzzle games. Oh, online or real ones? I'm kind of a bit of everything, really. I grew up with crossword puzzles and then pinballs. When you were a student back in the day, either it was either the pinball machine or they used to have these really innovative things, which are like a little table. Two of you could sit either side and play ping plong or whatever it was called, where you move with bat backwards and forwards and the little uh, ball goes flying in between. Ah, oh, the, oh, do you mean ping pong? No, I mean like computer games. Yeah. But, uh, oh, you mean no, the before... pong? Yes. Pong, yeah. that's probably what it's called. Um, but is it like a shuffleboard, that kind of thing? No, you, it's like a two-player game. You just have a little puck. Okay? There's a puck that goes in between and you just have a little line on the screen, which is your bat, which you move side to side. <laughs> yes, the original, the pong. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the original. Goodness. Exciting stuff in those days. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a gamer too, but mostly board games nowadays. I do like games. I, I like the relaxing thing where you can just do something else with your brain, not just work and, or worry about life, but to get some yep. nice entertainment as well. I was an avid computer gaming for a long time, even with my trusted Commodore 64 or my friends. That was the thing that we gathered around in the team. Had an Amiga or a Commodore 64 back in the 80s and played all sorts of fun games on that and then moved on to shoot 'em up games. And that's also the arcade, like you said. Yep. I like the shoot 'em up games, those things where you kill zombies en masse especially if you can do it together <laughs> with someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. <laughs> Nowadays, I think I'm more like, I want some relaxed gaming. So it's more word game, like you say. Do my Wordle every day. I've not done Wordle for a long time, but yes. But now we're going to talk about another type of computer game. And this is like the real thing. It's like a worldly <laughs> game, <laughs> but done in virtual reality. So if you listen to our MWC, Mobile Congress specials, then we also had some virtual reality experiences there. And one of them was a game platform. A part of the Ericsson booth there was like a play field where people could join a virtual game and play against Vodafone in Madrid, cross-country gaming online, but with VR headset. And on this podcast, we have... The owner of that gaming platform. The, yeah, the gaming platform, UK Hado. It's a Japanese game 
at the start, but this is the UK branch of that game. Jim Sefton is coming to the podcast. We're going to talk to him. And then together with the senior 5G marketing manager for 5G monetization of network slicing, Matt Johansson is joining from Ericsson to explain a little bit about the networks part of 5G gaming. Paul, anything else you want to say about gaming or should we just jump straight into the interview? I think we could jump straight into the interview, but it's fascinating to see this kind of mix of physical activity and mobile gaming. I guess a lot of gamers don't have the reputation of being very physically active. And here is a way yeah. to bridge the gap. But I was interested though, when we talked, you will hear this when we talk in the interview about how the game actually supports people with a wide range of abilities or disabilities. It's not who is most physically active wins. Not a kind of physical performance sport. No. And more team experience as well, that you can have a collaboration with your teammates to know who can block right now and so on. I think maybe we need to go to the interview so people understand what we're talking about. Yeah, let's go do that. So, today we have some gaming experts on the podcast. We're going to talk mobile cloud gaming. And let's start off with Mats Johansson. Senior 5G marketing manager specializing in 5G monetization and network slicing. Is that correct, Matt? Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you, Janina. Yeah, that, that's correct. I've been working on this area for, for quite some time now, in the last couple of years. So it's uh, great to be here and, and cover this yeah. topic a bit. Are you a gamer yourself? Yeah. Not a very big mm-hmm. one. I'm a casual gamer, casual mobile Aha. gamer which is not bad because it's the biggest segment within mobile cloud gaming. What kind of games do you like? I like mostly puzzle type of games. And I recently tried also a pool game, which was quite interesting as well. A pool game? On your phone? Yeah, you can do that on the phone. Sounds interesting. I think more and more people are gaming, at least the little wordles or those kinds of word games. Yeah, or board games is also quite big, at least in my community. Mm. Gaming is a, it's not just for the super nerdy anymore. Matt, tell us a little bit, what is cloud gaming and what has it got to do with 5G? Cloud gaming, I think, is the concept of moving away from being dependent only on your hardware device. Traditionally, we've had PC games where you buy a CD and play. That used to be very popular 20 years ago. And then console games has been around for quite a while, which is the same thing, but you download, you play the game on the console. You could, of course, do multiplayer game, but then you send short, let's say, bits of data between the players. But in order to make that really exciting, you need to be in the same facility normally. Cloud gaming would allow for the possibility to have the game running in the cloud, and it would enable a much more, let's say, low-cost, no-feature-rich M device. And if we talk about going to mobile cloud gaming, that would mean that you know a reasonable smartphone would be enough 
to try out much more fancy games than uh, before. And that's really the opportunity going forward. When you talk about low cost, low functionality device, I think back to the good old days of terminals and servers and a maze of twisty little passages. <laughs> Yeah, of course, the end device needs to have some kind of processor with reasonable yep. performance, mm -hmm. but definitely doesn't have to be in the same style as a powerful console, which costs much more and uh, has a lot more capability in managing graphics, etc. Mm -hmm. So we're all about making gaming more accessible. It's about making it much more accessible. And the fact that mobile cloud gamers are in numbers much, much higher than the console gamers. Recently, we did a study in the US where 63% of the population were using mobile gaming to some degree, which was a massive amount of millions, whereas only 12 millions were the console player, more dedicated console players. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of stats around if you look, but for sure, the mobile potential is much bigger and it's also bigger in size, revenue-wise, so, so, compared to console gaming. It's double the size, at least. So what we're talking about here is more advanced games where you play together, where you need a network, where you need a network to be stable and performing, and it needs to be low latency, and yeah, it needs to be able to move. Exactly. So what kind of games do you see in this area? Do you, have we heard of them? I think we're talking about the types of games that exist already as multiplayer games mm -hmm. of various kinds, whether it's shooting games like Counter-Strike and things like that, which other sort of have been famous and still very popular, those types of games. But then, of course, sporting games or any type of games where there's opportunity for multiplayer and interaction between the players during the game, etc. Those will, will continue to be popular. But the, I think the opportunity here is to have casual gamers, which today are and will remain a very big part, where you typically you download the game on the smartphone, you play it on the smartphone as a single player game. However, we see multiplayer games come coming as well, but this gives an opportunity to go into try and play much more advanced multiplayer games. And for 5G and 5G standalone, that uh, enables a lot of these new features yeah. in the network. Yeah. And of course, there are some key players in this value chain. Of course, you have the game developers and the game publishers mm -hmm. that develops the games, that provides them, potentially sells them directly. Then you have other players like uh, who the players who run the game engines or optimization services to enhance the performance, etc. And then you have the cloud infrastructure, where is the actual hardware and the CPU and the service, the cloud providers. So this could be potentially the hyperscalers or potentially some larger CSPs as well. Service providers hmm? or operators. Yeah. And then of course, then you have the service providers that provides the connectivity mm -hmm. with 5G. And in 5G, we see that network slicing will be an important key feature to enable that premium connectivity. Mm. So then, of course, we have the end devices like the smartphones and consoles of various kinds or dedicated headsets, etc. or VR glasses or whatever. Ah, yes, that area as well. So like when I think about the, perhaps a mobile game that needs at least a reasonable network, and that was the game that came 
couple of years ago that was uh, Pokemon Go, right? Is that, I still see kids using that on the streets running around. I mean, that's very, very mobile. You need to move yourself to different locations and stuff like that. But not a lot has happened with those kinds of games lately. I've heard some event games as well, where you're like, oh, you have to find something in an area and you have a mobile app. But then when we were at, at MWC, Paul. <laughs> when I was in Barcelona. And in our MWC episode, we had a company called Hado on site we did. in Barcelona in our booth. And now also on the podcast, we have Jim Sefton from UK Hado. You're the, actually the owner of UK Hado. Tell us a little bit about that company and what you're doing. Hi there. Yeah, so I look after Hado in the UK. Hado itself is a global brand, an IP. It was created as a concept in Tokyo seven years ago, and it's since then spread out to be played competitively in 39 countries. So it stretches all around the world in terms of how the sport operates. What we've done in the UK is we've focused specifically on the the end user experience and the audience experience and how we can expand those out to a greater number of people over a greater area. We've done that through a lot of 5G research work, working with Vodafone and a number of other partners. We were part of the IBC accelerators and we actually won the 2021 accelerator prize and we beat Sky Sport and several others to, to do that. All of that was done using 5G connectivity and this idea of taking the game out into the cloud. And for us, it represents quite a lot of what we can do in the future in terms of expanding the sport. Can you just a little bit backwards, like how long have you been doing this? And like, how did it start? Oh, it's a game from Japan. Hmm? That's correct. Yeah, the sport itself is from Tokyo. It was created as a concept there about seven years ago. Okay. Uh, The guys in Japan had basically grown up their entire lives watching anime, playing games, and everything they saw told them they should be able to fire blasts of energy from their hands. <laughs> and Hado is the Japanese word for energy blasts. And so they'd grown up watching this, that everything told them they should be able to do it, but obviously they couldn't. So why couldn't they? And so they created technology that allowed them to do that. So using augmented reality, they created a system that allowed them initially to battle kaiju, so giant monsters that only existed again within the augmented reality. And then they realized very quickly it was more fun to throw energy blasts at each other, and the sport developed out from there. So we created this team sport, what they call a techno sport, that sits in this merging point between physical sports and esports. So it has the movement, the energy, all the fitness aspects you expect from a classic physical sport. But thanks to the AR interaction element of this, it has the level playing field that you only normally see within a computer game, so within an esport. It's taking the best of both of these worlds. It's leaving behind the exclusive factor that you get with physical sports related to size and strength, and it doesn't have the sedentary element of the esport being seated to play. So it's taken the best of both worlds and left behind what are effectively the, the negative elements of the two worlds. Therefore, meaning we have no age categories, we have no gender categories, we can have players with disability without any issues. So it's a phenomenal open and level playing field. We have a lot of very, very good junior players who are regularly defeating adult teams at very high-end tournaments all around the world because it's just about who trained more, not who's bigger or stronger. So there's tournaments with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this goes all the way through to World Cup. England are currently the reigning European champions. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, Japan are still the very much the undefeated world champions. I believe there's been one match ever in which a non-Japanese team managed to beat a Japanese team in any tournament. It's only ever happened Ooh. once, and it was the Malaysian national team that managed it. <laughs> and good, no good. other non-Japanese team has ever beaten a Japanese team in an international tournament. Yeah, that sounds like there's a challenge there for somebody. Mm. Oh, it's definitely a challenge. Mm-hmm. We intend to lift the World Cup at some point, but it's going to take us a little little bit to get there. So we've, we've conquered Europe, we're heading, heading for the world, but we've, uh, there's still a bit of a skill gap to close. 
Mm. But it's, it takes some equipment, though, this game. Yeah. yeah. So what do you need? Hadda uses smartphones for processing the, the graphical elements. So Hadda creates a, an augmented reality map uh, that exists effectively within a cloud. So it can be either a local server if you're playing in a single location, or as we're now doing, if you're playing across locations, then that's a cloud that each of the headsets is accessing to know where every player is within the defined area of the Hadda court. The Hadda court is a six meter by 10 meter open space that you're playing with it. The headsets we use allow you to not just perceive the AR, but they have cutouts at the side along the base, so you maintain all your peripheral vision, so there's no disconnection from reality of any kind. So you're still in the real world, you're able to move with speed and confidence because of that, but you now have the augmented reality integrated with what you can see. The graphics added into the real world, that's how the players are interacting. So, and everything is done then from body movement. So you throw your hand forward and an energy blast comes from your hand, flies towards wherever you were looking at the time you threw your hand forwards. In front of each player, there's a target, which is what the opposition are at, and that's linked to your head as well. So turning your head turns the target, going high or low moves the target. So the more mobile you are, the harder you become to hit. You can also drop your arm down to ready a shield and pull it up in front of you to bring a defensive barrier up in front of you to protect you and your teammates for a short period of time. And that's basically all the controls. Now, what we've been doing is we've taken that which is a, an amazingly fun concept from Japan in terms of how the sport works, and realized that actually, although it's spread globally really, really quickly, it's now starting to spread out in each of those relevant countries that's moved into, but it's still not a huge penetration level. So for an awful lot of teams, to be able to find people to play against who are at a decent level requires you to actually go to another had a playing country to find their top team and play against them because obviously you improve by playing people who are at your level or better you don't really improve by playing people who are less experienced in any sport or game and what we realized with the projects we've done is that using 5g we can connect to the arenas so we have a physical team sport where the two teams don't need to be on the same court. So we started off playing in the UK, Coventry versus London, where we had a team at the football arena, the Rico Arena in Coventry, and one team at the Twickenham Film Studios in London, with the production work being done in cloud in a virtual studio, with a human host and a virtual host who were presenting the tournament, and we did a full tournament between the two cities. We then expanded that out later, and since then we've done a full tournament between London and Miami, and tournaments between Coventry and Seoul and South Korea. So we're able to, because of that connectivity and this, this connection to that, that cloud setup that everyone's accessing, pay, be able to have matches of a physical team sport where nobody has had to get on a plane and we're playing people five and a half thousand miles away without the cost or time of a plane or hotels, without the ecological elements, without the said time financial aspects of that. It's just, have you got half an hour clear? Yeah, I'll get on the court then. So that capacity to be able to play between locations is quite incredible in what it offers us. Mm -hmm. We also do a lot of tournament things. We go to a lot of big events. So we go to big gaming festivals, various other things like that. And you can't use public networks there. There's too many people. There could be like 15, 20,000 people in the show hall with you. Public access networks are no good to us whatsoever. And that then moves on to things like the 5G slicing aspects, allow us to actually run to them and also to content create from there. We're also looking more and more at, again, it started in Japan, it's now starting to move out, integration into the, into the games and the matches, which allows people to be able to influence what's happening with the players. And in Japan, they've taken that one step further by merging that through into complete entertainment setups. 
So the teams competing in the sport, in what they call their Idol Wars tournaments, every team is a Japanese pop band. <laughs> ah. So it becomes now latest singles from the bands. It becomes the interviews with the band, with the, with the main singers and so on within them. It's then the tournaments between them. It's full integration with the fans, being able to basically ask questions and chat bands, but also to then boost their abilities during the games. And so you have this, this phenomenal integrated fan experience and obviously if you then mix that with the kind of things that you get both in europe and the us where you get things like your pop-up events the flash mob kind of idea everything else again because of that cloud connectivity and that ability to create things like a 5g slice you can just go right we're going to have a tournament in this park we're going to be here we're going to do this so we're finding we're playing more with all these opportunities we've got to integrate with our audience and to create these incredible interactive experiences for them. wow do you know how many are playing this game there are i think the current estimate is somewhere about the two and a half to three million mark globally at the moment but it's not got the money behind it in terms of awareness you get a ubisoft or an activision product or something like that where they can just blast out something globally so it's done all of its growth basically organically yeah. so to get where it is via that route is quite incredible and obviously we're, we're constantly growing that I mean, within the uk we have a number of set tournament centers sort of in the middle of the country we've got private licensees down the south coast there is the air force have got their own license because the army navy and air force in the uk all play the sport they've got licensees in colleges with sports authorities last week we installed with newcastle united at their esports and community sports center so if i want to start playing this game it sounds super interesting what do i need to do at the moment you come to haddo you come to a haddo location and said That can either be a fixed location or that can be a mobile event or a mobile location. Not every country, but a lot of countries have their had operators within them who are now creating and running these events because it's one of those things that we obviously we need to be working with the service provider, but that does make it, I suppose, a little bit easier for the service provider because they're not trying to work with a vast number of people. They're trying to work with us as an integrated event, which keeps things a lot easier to control. But obviously what we're doing by both the gaming side of it in terms of when we're operating between locations or if we're operating in a environment where either there's no capacity to use public networks because of the number of people or you're out in a park or something like that, which obviously we can do, where there's no, clearly there's no cable you can plug into out there. You need to be, for having those pair-ups and agreements with service providers, gives us a fantastic opportunity to use those and also gives a great way for people who've got the 5G there elements on their phone within those public networks to be able to see what's the difference if you're now running on a slice because you give them access to it, which you want to do, because although a lot of what gets talked about with, with cloud and everything else is about the gaming experience, you've got to remember that anyone who's seriously into their game, who really takes their experience very seriously and is going to want to have this access, this opportunity, this capacity, is also a content creator. Mm-hmm. So they also need to be able to stream. So that oh. so you're not just talking, you're talking about the upload within that environment as well. And obviously, again, if you've got a lot of people around, you're in a public network, content creation becomes difficult because you need a minimum level of upload mm. to be able to put a decent quality piece of content out there. And gamers do. They, they create content in vast quantities. So again, that, and that's a key part of this ecosystem that should never be forgotten, that it's not just about playing the game. It's about creating content about the fact you're playing the game. Yeah, true, true. So if we go over to the network demand side, Matt, what would the requirements of a network be when it comes to if someone like, like Hada or other companies coming to a service provider anywhere in the world? I think it will vary a lot between the games. I think what we talked about was not fantastic. I mean, extremely demanding fears. We were 
discussing that when we wrote the report, we said that latency around 20, 25 milliseconds or something like that, and an uplink of at least 25 megabits would be sufficient for a lot of games. I think it's also fair to say that there are some games with maybe less demand that are possible even as is on 5G. So that's not everything we need slicing. But then I think the further this develops, when we get slicing out there, the evolution of the game developers will drive that need forward, I'm sure, to the limit. So as we move forward with even more immersive games and VR, high resolution experiences, etc., then of course this development will never end. There could always be a demand for something more powerful. But I think at the moment we're taking the first step towards establishing slicing as something that is available. And once that's available, it will have great impacts for the gaming industry, I'm sure, because it suddenly allows for innovation that was not so easy before. Paul, take us back a little bit and explain network slicing. Because now we've talked about this for the last 10, 15 minutes. And come on, what is it? I know you're dying to exhale this. (laughs) (laughs) What is network slicing? What is it? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. You think of a network as being like a big open pipe of information, which all users share and all users have the same standard of connectivity, regardless of what they're doing. So if I'm web surfing or if I'm uploading photos to my Facebook, or if I'm trying to do very time critical games, then everyone's getting the same kind of service. What network slicing does is it allows you to build a virtual network. So in this case, you can run your virtual reality, artificial reality applications over a virtual network. What that means in practice is within that network, which is just a defined set of a space within the data stream, you can define what parameters you need to have to be able to meet the demands of the service. So in this case, I want things which have a very high reaction time and high reliability. So you can actually set up parameters for that. And the system will ring fence that capacity to make sure that when the game is running, it's getting the the data throughput and the low latency that the game needs to be able to run. Special requirements. So Mm. special requirements. And you can use it for, we've talked about other use cases where you can use it to set up, uh, we talked in another podcast about setting up, for instance, a virtual network or a building site and being able to run surveillance cameras and uh, those things over a slice. And also I think mission critical blue light personnel, uh, like emergency services could possibly use it. I think someone had a really good uh, analogy of the slicing being like, oh, you can have a big freeway and you can add a link to it, right? And some of them are like, this is only for buses. Yeah, this is like a bus lane or a, or an emergency services lane, or in this case, we're doing live video gaming lane. <laughs> yeah, we have a gaming lane here. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's not only about latency and throughput. It could be also that you could have extra security within the slice. You could have video optimization which is not part of the, so you could add functions that, that are not present in the regular basic connectivity. Setup. And you, you were saying also, Matt, that this is something that's getting launched now. Is it like launched in different countries or areas? How is it going? 
Do you need 5G standalone? You need 5G standalone. So it's still early days. You could say it's coming, but it's first steps, you could say. Where we are, 5G standalone is being deployed in many leading markets. And slicing is also on, let's say, in final trial phases. But for instance, it could be used for other things. A lot of IoT services will, of course, benefit from this. In Mobile World Congress, we had a broadcaster who used this for their video production uplink, for instance. And that is something that will be commercialized in Germany starting this year. So we're seeing the first steps of this happening, which is good. That is good. Jim, did you, you mentioned this as uh, something that you as a key or very beneficial to your industry. Is there other things that you are looking for when you're looking for collaborations with service providers or other companies out there? Do you have more requirements? Um, I suppose the main one for us when we're looking when we work in collaborations is that there's a clear link and a benefit in for both sides in how, in how we're operating with people. So when we've worked with service providers, we've looked at basically how to being a really, it's a very eye-catching, it's a very fun way of showing something you can do with 5G. And I don't know, obviously, different people can be listening to this from different countries. Obviously, in the UK, we've got we've had adverts from service providers showing you things like, you know, the fact you could shave someone's beard on a mountaintop if you're in a, a barber shop in another country. You go, well, great, but I'm never going to do that. However, I could very reasonably go to my nearest Haddo court and play Haddo and choose to play Haddo against someone in another city. Or I could go to a Haddo pop event and actually play this sport. So I can actually go and tangibly, realistically do that uses this technology and so we re- we represent a way to actually show that to people that you can actually do this that it's, it's not something that's being talked about it's something that a person can just go and do and interact with and enjoy yeah that was why you were actually at mobile congress yeah in barcelona in the ericsson booth showing it yeah can you tell us a little bit about because you were there personally as well like what was the setup what was the outcome <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was incredibly positive. We said, obviously, there's a huge amount of information out there about how you do this connectivity, how you do cloud gaming, how you do slicing. But we were there to give the reason of why, because how is wonderful, but there needs to be a why. Who's going to use this? How can it monetize? How does it operate as a business? How does it work for everyone involved? Why would you do this in the first place? Uh, so what we had set up at Mobile Congress, we had half of a pitch, uh, half a court area set up at Mobile Congress in Barcelona, and the other half at the Vodafone 5G center in Madrid, connected through a 5G slice. And we had teams playing in Madrid against teams in Barcelona. So people who were coming around the Ericsson experience through the Ericsson area, who were then being able to basically experience this, say, our cloud gaming element, playing against those teams in Madrid in real time. Yeah, I know that our friend and colleague, Adam Lloyd, he is very proud that he, in the first game, won. It is it is a very satisfying experience to win. <laughs> uh, Sending out yeah. balls of light. And great balls of fire. Be- uh, great balls of fire. Woohoo! Yeah, I tried it myself a uh-huh. couple of times as well. Was it successful? Did you beat the other team? I think I actually won the first one or so, but maybe the other guys <laughs> fell asleep on the other side. I don't know. I was, <laughs> was inexperienced. <laughs> yeah, there, there were a lot of Ericsson team members there who were very happy to come and uh, help us test the experience, make sure it was working, then test it again, and then obviously come back to test it for a third time because obviously you've, you've, got to, you've got to check multiple times to make sure it works. Of course, you need to try that network several times. <laughs> <laughs> Paddle is very popular in Sweden. Can you see this taking yes. a paddle as, as a social activity? 
don't see why not. I mean, Adam itself has got both capacity to sit alongside a lot of existing activities, but also what we see globally yeah. is that classic sports, so your big things like football, rugby, cricket, so forth, the average age of the fan base is increasing because fewer and fewer people of the younger age ranges are being drawn into the sports, either as players or as fans. And it's a global effect that's happening because they're moving into esports, they're moving into content creation, social media work, everything else. Because it's more engaging, for the majority of people, it's more fun. Because unless you're one of the, the absolute top players that's on that pitch, fundamentally, all you're doing is watching somebody play. Yeah. And it's really difficult, even if you get inspired by watching that, to then go, well, I want to go and do that. Well, unless you've got a team at the right pitch and all the kit, you can't just go and do that. But you can watch an esports match, go, that was amazing. I want to do that. Turn on your computer and you're doing it. And Hado, again, it's not quite as quick as turning on your computer but it's way more accessible than needing necessarily to have a big setup. Because what we can do, even if you turned up on your own to play Haddo, unlike any other sport where you need a team, we can put AI-controlled players in that only exist within the augmented reality. So we can give you a team, we can give you opponents mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, that all That's exist me. within it. So you can literally just turn up on your own and play and have a full match, which again, you can't do with a physical sport. And it's this, this mid-world between the two, the fact that these worlds can merge, that Haddo's basically based in where, what it's exploring as a concept. Yes, of course. And we're seeing the biggest environments for this at the moment are in China. There are huge arenas being built in, in China for Haddo. Uh, seven court, courts in each one. Like the biggest one's in Shenzhen, which is a city that's got some ridiculous like 12 million population in it, so it can support things like that. But the growth on it is just incredible looking at those sorts of things. It's giving people the capacity to have that fun, that competitiveness, that interaction without the massive resources needed to go and take part in a classic sport, without the, because of the level playing field aspect of Haddo, because in Haddo, you get to choose how fast your the energy blast you're throwing, you get to choose how fast they travel, you get to choose how big those energy blasts are, you get to choose how often you can fire, and you get to choose how many defensive shields you can race. But to be better at one of those things, you have to be worse at something else. So that's why this really becomes a team sport, because across a team, you take different sets of abilities. So just like you do in, a, in an e-port, in an e-sport or a computer game, where you have different stat builds for your characters, your players, or different characters you might take on within a, a set game. Each of you have got different roles that they play. So you get these fantastic team strategies and tactics that are very much reminiscent of, of the e-sports and gaming world. But what it means is if you're playing, I'll go to rugby as an example, in a ma- rugby match, in the first half of the match, you're playing as a prop forward. You can't suddenly go and become a back in the second half of the rugby match. Whereas in Haddo, if you're playing a straight out damage, a point scorer and damage character in the first match, for the second match, you could just change your stats and be a defensive blocking, character, blocking player. And it would make no difference because it's just the stats you've chosen change on your wrist. There's nothing about your physicality that has to alter in order for you to completely change your role and your place within the team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just thinking about those paddle arenas, uh, Paul, that <laughs> they were complaining that now after the pandemic that they are empty. Paddle is very popular, but if it drops in popularity, then maybe there's some empty locations that could use <laughs> something a bit more sporty. Yes. I think, I think the one we're mainly looking at at the moment is squash courts. Squash. Yeah, that, that's the same size, right? So a lot of squash courts went to paddle during the pandemic and now they're, it could be another world out there. Is there other similar gaming companies as well? Or what are the ecosystem? You talked about the handset, you have to have some equipment, so the smartphones. So what do you see as 
the future? What, what's upcoming? Is this just one example? Next time it will be another game or will it be other players? Uh, of course. I mean, there will be more types of games coming along on the time, of course. And this is a good example. And it's also thinking about the bit of the business model. So how you, would you effectively, if you are a service provider, how would you really sell this? Where would you come into the value chain here? And with the slice. And we've seen it as that you have four different options to sell this. Either you sell it more as a direct business to consumer offering, where you would sell the slice directly to the consumer at a premium price, which means that as a consumer, I would upgrade, I would buy a gaming subscription, which means that for all different types of games that I play, I have access to this capability and more of a general gaming slice. And the other option, of course, is for some of the larger players, maybe they could sell a gaming package, resell. They would resell games together with a slicing RG and slicing plan as a complete package. The other alternative is to have more of a business to business to consumer offering where the CSP would sell a slice to a developer like Hado, for instance, that would sell it to the gamer as an add-on. Maybe Hado is a bad example, but if you have a game that you think performs not so well, you could choose to upgrade within the game. Or it could be maybe more relevant for Hado that is included as part of the game already. So when you buy the game, you get the slice to come with it every time you play. So that could be another option. So there are some ways that we think this could, could yeah. be monetized going forward. Paddle owners, we've realized, <laughs> could be a customer going forward. Like enterprises, right? That could be one of the customers, like same as Hade, right? So a lot of different options here for gaming for network providers all over the world. People who are interested in this which actions should they take or what can they do now? I'm sure there's a lot of gamers out there. <laughs> Is it contact header or contact your <laughs> operator? Or what do you want yeah. people to do? I think that the if you look at cloud gaming and slicing, of course, this needs to happen, let's say, technically and commercially first, such that we really have this in place. Once we have it in place, we can start to offer it. And it depends on, of course, where you have the coverage. You may not cover the whole country. You may be covering major cities and then you can start to, offering, to offer it there. Of course, it's easier to, if you're working together with a player like Hado, then you could have a partnership with them. You could work with them and make sure to have coverage where they need coverage to begin with or something like that. So that's another option. And then it could expand once you get more coverage across uh, the country. Do you know if there is anywhere anywhere in Sweden that you can try this? Trying how to yeah. currently no. I know there are conversations going on with a couple of potentials. I know there was quite a lot of interest about there being a Hado court at Ericsson and potentially an Ericsson team. The, um, we're very, people were very keen at playing the sport, especially across Mobile World Congress. But no, we're also talking to some other, to other potentials in Sweden. Currently, I hope it'll be there very soon. And I think the really big one for this in terms of where it can go is with the 5G slice, because it doesn't have to be set to a permanent location. It can be set up to a location, stripped out, and then targeted to another place. What it allows for are pop-up events. Yeah. Because 
having that connectivity to a fixed location that could already have fast fiber or anything else in there isn't necessarily that big a deal. But being able to have a big event in a location that doesn't normally have connectivity or not connectivity on that scale or is required for that event, that's where it really starts to open up. And go back to what I said earlier about the, the idea of this, the Idle Wars concept that they're running in Japan. There is an awful lot of what we develop in technology comes from uh, I suppose science fiction ideas, whether it be series, movies, books, an awful lot of that does tend to guide where we go. And there's a, an anime series called Ordinal Scale that's all about these huge pop-up augmented reality events that merge in with music, pop concerts and everything else. So being able to have a deal with a, say, a major shopping centre, because obviously a lot of shopping centres at the moment are down uh, footfall still post-pandemic, but where you can have, right, we're going to have this huge gaming experience there. There's going to be live bands. There's going to be content creation. We're going to draw a huge number of people in. So it's a monetized event between both the gaming providers, the music and entertainment providers, the center, the CSP. And it's going to be there for just this day. And at the end of that day, we're going to take that slice down and we're going to run a pop-up event somewhere else and move that slice to there. And that capacity to move that connectivity and to be able to, in a location where you wouldn't normally be able to host a large-scale event that needs a great deal of connectivity for data flow coming in and out, opens up a massive range of opportunities for events and different companies to, to monetize this whole setup. Cool. I think it sounds fantastic and we'll love to do a, like a live podcast when you're in Sweden. <laughs> when you're opening something Definitely. or doing an event in Sweden. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you, know, you need to go to Denmark or Norway because they have had it already. Oh, they Just do? They are on the website. They're way behind the Norwegians. Or UK. Ha. Sweden, come on. Come on. Great. Thank you for being on the podcast. It was great talking about gaming and more well cloud gaming and the new opportunities for monetization there. And I want an integration with Teams so that in, you can sit in meetings and send energy blasters for people. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was the interview with Jim and Matt about Hado and what was shown at Mobile Congress in the Ericsson Hall. Did you get the opportunity to try it by any chance, Paul? Strangely enough, no. <laughs> <laughs> did you see it getting used? Yeah, I did see people do, doing strange things. We've got an area that was kind of screened off for the cause. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did you get some questions from analysts about it? Not on that part. No, we did talk about other areas of network slicing and things like using it for video services in conjunction with sports events. An interesting use case. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned previously in the podcast, earlier podcast, that I thought the use case for network slicing, where we talk about building virtual networks, which you can use to set up a network in a location. And the example we looked at was construction sites. That's also a very interesting case. But obviously, it's not everybody that wants to set up a construction site. A lot of people could be interested in setting up to go gaming. It seemed to me a, a little bit like a kind of a next generation version of paintball. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> paintball is you could check out where the nearest court is and go and have a try. Yes, please do. And thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. We're very happy we're getting more listeners, especially on Spotify, Paul. 
Yep. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. And bye. Bye. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. If you like this podcast, it really helps. We have a great team of people we're working with, but when it comes down to it, a lot of work is done by us too. And we weren't hired to do podcasting, Paul. We're not. I'm not getting paid for this. (laughs) (laughs) So please, if you want us to continue, give us some good reviews and recommend us to your colleagues. And if you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5gpodcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback. So please reach out to us. Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.